Great, thank you so much. It is great to be here with you all again. Um, it's wonderful to come back uh, a few times. It feels like it's becoming home away from home, so it's a real joy. And um, as Bates said, uh, we studied in Stanbosch, so it's a bit of a little bit of a little so um, if you if you want to chat with to me afterwards, and I can I can speak Afrikaans as as you will. So, um, but most of my sermon will be in English. You'll be glad to hear. Um, when I was talking to Paul about um, coming, he was saying that it would be helpful to speak on a, a theme that I might be able to revisit if I came again, so that every time I, I come, there would be some kind of maybe connection. And so, the 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 thing I'm going to do today is start a series that I will just do whenever I come, which I'm not sure when that will be, but if it's once or twice a year, I want to talk about emotions. I want to start a series on, on emotions, so I'm going to call it Being Emotional. <laughs> and um, usually when we talk about being emotional, we, we mean that in a negative way. If, if we say that our friend or our spouse or our kids or our pastor is being emotional, we're not saying a good thing normally. Hey, we're saying a, a bad thing. And yet, that's a challenge because we are emotional beings. So, of course, you're going to be emotional. In fact, even when you think you're not being emotional, you are experiencing emotions all the time because we're emotional beings. Um, but emotions can seem mysterious. They can seem beyond any kind of control. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why that view has developed, this kind of negative view of emotions, but it shouldn't surprise us that we're emotional beings because God is an emotional being. God himself is an emotional God, and because we're made in his image, we too have emotions. You don't have to read far into the Bible at all to start seeing the range of emotions that God himself experiences. And in fact, the more you read the Bible, the more you'll see just how emotional God is and just how wide his emotional range is. And uh, we're, just, we're just the same. We, we, we have a, a range of emotions from sorrow to joy to anger to compassion to despair. And, and uh, we want to look at some of those. So what I'm going to start off with is maybe the most common and problematic emotion, the emotion of anger. And so if you have a Bible, won't you please turn to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. We could really do a whole series on anger because it's all over Scripture. Um, but I'm just going to do one sermon on it. So, um, But we're going to look at it from Genesis chapter 4. And hopefully um, it'll give you a bit of a sense of of the kinds of things that the Bible talks about when it deals with anger. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray quickly. Father, we live in an angry world, and we ourselves have angry hearts. So we ask that as we come to you now, your Holy Spirit would teach us, and through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, calm our hearts and use us as agents of peace and righteousness in this world. Amen. Okay, so the first thing this passage shows us is the cause of anger. The cause of anger. And the cause of anger is a moral evaluation based on your beliefs and desires. Anger is caused by a moral evaluation your heart makes And that moral evaluation that your heart makes is based on what you believe and desire. Okay, let's see how this this kind of works. Um, In this passage, we see that Cain and Abel bring offerings to God. And um, we don't know uh, too much about it, but we know that Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted. The text does hint at the differences between these offerings, right? So, so Cain's offering is just some of the fruits of the soil. There's no um, kind of description of it beyond just the fact that it was some of the fruits of the soil. Whereas Cain's, Abel's offering, rather, in verse 4, is fat portions from the firstborn. So... Um, Cain, it's not so much that it's vegetables versus meat, although a lot of people have uh, thought that's what's going on. It's not so much that. It's that Cain's offering is just kind of an ordinary thing, whatever was sort of lying around, whereas Abel brought the very best. And of course, we know from the book of Hebrews, looking back at this, the author of Hebrews says that Abel brought his offering with faith. Of course, it was expressed in the type of offering, but really what God looked at and the reason God accepted Abel's offering with favor was because Abel brought it with faith. Abel believed and desired to please God, whereas presumably Cain brought his offering from unbelief. Cain's beliefs and desires were 
incorrect. I think Cain is, is kind of like an embryonic Pharisee. Cain sort of brings something to God, and now Cain's done his bit, and God needs to do his bit. It's kind of transactional. Cain, Cain uh, seems to think that I'm going to bring this to God, and then God's going to do something for me. And of course, that doesn't happen. So Cain makes a, a moral evaluation of the situation. Right? Based on his beliefs and desires, Cain says, this is wrong. I'm displeased by this. Now, it's hard to know exactly what was motivating Cain, but I think that there's a clue again in the text in verse 7. If you look at what God says to Cain in verse 7, he says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? It's an interesting word. Often in the Old Testament, it's translated as exalted or honored. And the, contra- the contrast seems to be that Cain is downcast as a result of his offering being rejected. He's down. And God says to Cain, hey, I will lift you up if you do the right thing. You know, I, I, I will accept you, Cain. I, I, will, I will exalt you if you do what is right. And, you know, we know in the Christian life that often the, the way up is actually down. Right? The, the way to be exalted by God is to humble yourself. And that's what God is saying to Cain. Cain, you want to be exalted. And you can be exalted if you humble yourself, if you do this the right way. But that's not what Cain believes or desires. And so when Cain gets rejected, when Cain's offering gets rejected, he gets angry. Because what he desired was not given to him. And so he evaluated the situation and he said, this is wrong. Anger is a moral evaluation that your heart makes. Anger always says of a situation, this is wrong. So of all the emotions, anger is the most moral. It's a moral emotion. When people are angry, it's because they're making a value judgment. People get angry because they think think things aren't fair. Um, this is really well illustrated in a fantastic movie called Inside Out. I've got a picture of uh, Anger, who's one of the characters. If you haven't seen this movie, I'd recommend it. It's really good. And uh, right in the beginning, the narrator, who's, uh, it's narrated by Joy, the emotion. Joy says, as she's introducing Anger, she goes, that's Anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. When Anger thinks things are unfair... He burns, (laughs) as you can see. He gets angry, and he's in uh, the mind of Riley, the little girl, and whenever Riley perceives that things are unfair, like when she has to eat Brussels sprouts, she gets angry, angry with mom and dad who are feeding her things. Now, the only nuance I would add to this is that I would say this this is very common, this kind of anger. I call it volcano anger, but you also get iceberg anger. And so that's sometimes even more scary, because at least with volcano anger, you can see it. You know, there's fire, there's lava, things are, on, things are exploding, and you know what you're dealing with, with volcano anger. But you can have iceberg anger. Iceberg anger is very scary because it's silent. But you know what icebergs are like? They can sink the Titanic. And uh, iceberg anger can be very dangerous. And I wonder if Cain had iceberg anger. You know, because Abel didn't seem to know 
how angry Cain really was until it was too late. Now, God's response to Cain is incredible throughout this passage. Cain is thinking and believing and desiring things that are wrong. And then he gets angry because God doesn't give him what he wants. And then, in his anger, instead of just judging him or walking away from him, God moves towards him. Take a look at verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? That is a good question. God is counseling Cain. He's saying to Cain, think about your motives. Think about why you're angry. Why is your face downcast? Why are you so upset? What God is saying to Cain is look into your heart and identify your motivational desires and beliefs. Now, God doesn't ask Cain that question because God doesn't know the answer. He asks Cain that question because Cain doesn't know the answer. God is omniscient. God knows all things. But Cain doesn't even understand his own anger. And so God comes to counsel him. And God says to Cain, hey, look into your heart. Try and figure out why you are so angry. And he gives Cain that beautiful promise. Cain, if you do the right thing, don't worry about it. I'll lift you up. I'll accept you. I'll exalt you. But if you don't, there's the scary warning. Then sin, like a crouching predator, is waiting to attack. Sin is, is described here not just as something that, that came from the outside, like happened in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. Now sin is on the inside in Genesis 4. Sin has entered the bloodstream. And God says to Cain, you've got to be careful because sin is right there. And like a lion ambushes um, a, a buck in the bush, God says to Cain, sin is crouching, hiding in the savannah, waiting to pounce. You've got to resist it. You've got to be vigilant. So Cain gets angry because of his moral evaluation he makes a moral evaluation with his heart based on his beliefs and desires and he assesses the situation. He says, this is wrong. And before we get too hard on Cain, we should take a look at ourselves and we should say, okay, why do I get angry? What's the cause of my anger? You see, anger is a window into your heart. Anger will give you a window into the things you believe, into the things you value, into the things you desire. So if you can identify when you get angry, you'll be better positioned to start thinking about why you get angry. So, so think for that a little bit. When do you typically get angry? When you're driving? When you're in the shops? Uh, when you're playing sport? <laughs> when you're watching the news? Try and think about... Those times when you get angry. Now, this actually can be harder to do than it seems because when you're angry, you don't feel angry, you feel right. So you might not know you're feeling angry. You just think, everyone else around me is an idiot, you know, and, and I'm, I'm right, and, and this, everything's falling apart, and I can't believe what's happening. And, and you feel justified in your anger because anger is a moral emotion. 
So you, you'll just experience feeling righteous. That is actually anger. <laughs> so try and identify when you get angry. And when you start to notice that kind of pattern, you can then dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, why am I getting angry in that situation? Because those situations are not the cause of your anger. Those situations are the occasion of your anger. The cause of your anger is your heart. You don't get angry because of the traffic. You get angry because you have a desire to be punctual. And maybe that's a good desire. Maybe it's, maybe it's an over-desire. You know, we were running late this morning for the prayer meeting that I was asked to lead. <laughs> and obviously I was getting a bit... Uh, fretful, let's put it that way, at home. And I was thinking, why am I getting like this? And I think that's because it's because I value punctuality. Or is it because I value my own reputation and I want people to think that I'm punctual? And so the situations in which you find yourself getting angry are not the cause of your anger. I didn't get angry because... We were running late so much as I got angry because of beliefs and desires in my heart. So can you do that for yourself? Can you identify the cause of your anger? What is going on in your heart that makes you angry? If God had to appear to you the way he appeared to Cain, and if he had to say, why are you angry? What would you say? That's... That's your little homework assignment. <laughs> Try and figure out why you're so angry. We're typically more angry than we realize we are. That's what I'd say after doing lots of... Um, at my role at my church is to oversee our care and counseling ministry. And I would say one of the big things I've learned over the years is that we are more angry than we think we are. So I would like to suggest that to you. You can have a think about it. Um, but my, my guess is that you are more angry than you realize. And if you can try to start thinking about why, um, that'll be, go a long way towards um, uh, dealing with it. So that's the cause of anger. The cause of anger is our hearts, the beliefs and desires of our hearts. The consequence of anger. Anger destroys our relationships. The consequence of anger is destruction in our relationships. Take a look at verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. In his anger, Cain lures Abel out into the field where he murders him. This is a graphic picture of the destructive power of sinful anger. Right? Anger has destructive social dynamics, in other words, to put a more academic spin on it. Um, anger hurts people. Anger hurts relationships. Anger damages and weakens relationships. And we know this not just from the Bible. We know this because of relationships we've been in, Right? My guess is that every single person in this room has been a victim of someone else's anger, right? Because you know people, and if you know people, they will hurt you because they will get angry with you at some point. And you will hurt other people with your anger, and the results of this anger are everywhere. 
and they are destructive when it comes to the health and vitality of relationships. There are these, um, let me try and give you an illustration of what I think they do. Outside the door here, as we walked in, I saw these beautiful barrels um, that the school has. Now imagine going to, up to one of those barrels and taking a big nail and a hammer and just whacking a nail into one of those barrels, like really hard, make sure it gets right in there. Now one nail probably won't destroy the barrel, right? The barrel will still be there, and it'll, it'll look, it won't look like what it used to look, but it'll, it'll still be functional. You know, one nail doesn't really destroy a barrel. I mean, you can notice it, but the barrel still looks quite nice. And uh, you can do that with another nail and two or three. And, you know, you don't notice it, maybe, depending on where they are. The barrel's still functional. It doesn't immediately destroy the entire barrel. And so we tend to minimize the damage. And that's what anger does. Every time there's this angry outburst in a relationship, it's like getting a nail knocked into the relationship. But because it doesn't immediately destroy the relationship, we think, ah, it's not such a big deal, you know, it's... uh, it's fine. It's, it wasn't great, but, you know, the, the barrel's still standing, and this relationship is still standing. You know, it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get through it. But if you keep hammering nails into that barrel, eventually, I don't know how many nails it'll take, but eventually that barrel will break down. And you can repair it, right? You can take those nails out again, and you can patch it up, but there'll be scars. And... If you guys are anything like me, if your church is anything like my church, it, it's full of scars, full of scars, uh, where, where you have both received and given angry nails um, into your relationships. Um, and that is why the Bible is largely negative about human anger. Anger is not inherently wrong, right? God gets angry. God's anger is righteous because the moral evaluations that God makes are always right. So anger isn't inherently sinful. Anger can be healthy and good. But I think of healthy human anger like snow on Table Mountain. It does exist, but, uh, you know, it comes around every couple of years. (laughs) And even the anger we often feel is justified is mixed with our own selfish motives our incorrect beliefs, and our inordinate desires. God's anger is perfect because God's beliefs and desires are perfect. God's moral evaluations are perfect. His judgments are just. But with us, anger tends to be destructive. Anger tends to be destructive and tends to destroy relationships. And um, just in thinking about this topic for you guys this week, I, um, I've just been very aware that this is a real thing for many of you where, you, where you have received these nails, and you've given these nails, and we are people in need of help, hey? We're people in need of healing, and we're people in need of forgiveness, uh, because we give and receive uh, destructive anger. Now, anger destroys not only our relationships with people, but as this passage goes on to show us, it actually destroys our relationship with God as well. Take a look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? 
in Hebrew, it's actually a little play on words. He's saying, am I the shepherd of the, am I the shepherd? Of the shepherd? Remember, Abel, was, Abel kept the, the flock. And it's just like the socky response, you know. <laughs> kind of, if you've ever had a, a, like a kid talk back to you, it's like, you're, you're in trouble. Don't, don't tune me. You're, you're the one who's in the wrong here. And, uh, and, and Cain's just, you know, giving lip to God. He's like, well, well, how am I supposed to know where he is? God says, what have you done? Listen. Can you see, even here, God is counseling Cain. Even here, God is trying to help Cain see himself. What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain is completely impenitent, and yet even as Cain confronts God, God judges Cain. God judges Cain. He removes him from his presence, and Cain will become a restless wanderer in the land of Nod, which, which means restless wandering. And it's kind of um, spiritually symbolic. He will be a restless wanderer in his heart. Right? Cain is lost. He is psychologically lost. He is spiritually lost. He, he doesn't know himself. He is acting out in murderous rage. He can't even understand him, his own actions. And so he is banished, judged by God, and he will be a restless wanderer. Not just where he lives, but he will be restless on the inside. Anger doesn't just destroy human relationships. It destroys our relationship with God because God judges sinful anger. One way to think about it is this. Our sinful anger merits God's righteous anger. Our wrong anger provokes God's right anger on us. Jesus says it this way. He says in Matthew chapter 5, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You know, that, that is so serious, hey? We tend to minimize this. We're like, wow, like that's... Why is it so serious? Well, I think the reason God sees anger so seriously is that when we become sinfully angry, we become the judge. Right? We become the judge. I am making a moral evaluation of this situation as king and ruler, and I am deciding that it is bad and displeasing to me, and I am going to punish people that have transgressed my rule. Right? When you become sinfully angry, you take God's place, and God will punish that. Essentially, you say, my will be done. Cain is so impenitent that even when God judges him, Cain thinks God is doing something wrong. Right? Take a look at verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. He's saying to God, you're being unfair again. <laughs> and I've seen this with people that are stuck in toxic anger, that even when consequences are brought home to them because of their anger, they think they're the victim. 
I'm the victim here. God, you're being unfair. It's like um, you killed your brother, and now, now things are unfair for you. My punishment is more than I can bear. You're driving me from the land. I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. It is so hard for us to get a handle on our anger. I mean, and you guys know this in this community, right? Because it was about a month ago or six weeks ago where that, that event happened in Diburt, where there was that um, explosion of anger and a guy drove over someone with his car. And it's because anger is powerful and hidden from us. And it, it can control us and direct us because we are blind to it. We don't feel angry. We feel right. We feel, um, we, we feel like this, this is unfair. I need to sort out this problem. And it is absolutely destructive. And Cain, at this point in the passage, is completely unable to get out of his anger. Not even God counseling him can get him out of his anger. And God's a good counselor, right? I mean, if anyone's good at counseling, it's, it's, it's God. And yet God's counseling is unable to get Cain out of his anger. So Cain um, merits God's judgments. And again, it's worth applying that to ourselves, hey? Easy to look at Cain, but what about me? How has my anger weakened my relationships? How has my anger impacted my parenting, my marriage? How has my anger impacted my, my community, my church? Um, how, how is my anger impacting the way I communicate on social media? How does my anger impact the way I speak about people, uh, lecturers, leaders in our community, um, Anger is destructive, and more than that, anger merits God's punishment. It is absolutely serious, because when we're angry, we take God's place and we become the judge. So the cause of anger, beliefs and desires in our hearts. The consequence of anger is destruction and judgment. It's fairly bleak, hey? So the final point is the cure for anger. What is the cure for anger? Well, This passage doesn't spell it out in detail, but there is a remarkable note of hope. Take a look at verse 15. Remember Cain saying, hey, I'm I'm, I'm basically doomed. People are going to find me and kill me. God says, verse 15, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now, what is the mark of Cain? There are all sorts of silly interpretations of this over the years, but what's important to notice is that it's a mark of mercy. Right? It's a mark of mercy. God is saying, no, I, I am the judge, and I will protect you. If someone kills you, I'll take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, Romans 12. You can see where Paul got that from. He would have got it from Genesis 4. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But that word mark in chapter 4, just turn over to Genesis 9. It's the same Hebrew word, but in Genesis 9, 
Let me just find it. Where is it in verse 13? That same word is translated sign. In Genesis 9.13, God says after the flood, I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant. That is the same word translated mark in Genesis 4. What God is saying is that I'm going to put a sign of mercy on you. It's almost like God is, is entering into a covenant commitment to protect Cain. It is incredibly merciful. And in fact, it's so merciful that it, it's problematic. <laughs> because you think, well, Abel's blood is crying out for justice. How can you show such mercy to Cain? I mean, how can God do that, right? How can God show mercy to sinners and also be just? Because Abel's a victim here, and, and, and what Cain did was wrong and evil and wicked, and the judge of all the earth should punish what is wrong. So how can God show mercy and be just at the same time? How can God overlook Cain's sin and show him mercy? Well, Eventually, that is answered in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This tension between God's justice and mercy, introduced right here at the beginning of the Bible, is developed and ultimately fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Because in the life of Jesus, you have someone who was perfect, who was sinless. When he got angry, it was because uh, his heart and his beliefs and desires were absolutely pure. And so the anger of Jesus was always righteous. Um, and yet he was punished because of our sinful anger. Right? We deserve punishment, but the Bible tells us that Jesus was the righteous one, like Abel. Uh, but he took the consequences of our sinful anger upon himself. But Jesus was even better than Abel because Jesus didn't just bring another kind of offering. Jesus brought himself as an offering. And that means that we can be forgiven. We can experience mercy. We can be honest about our sinful anger because we know that in Christ, God forgives us for our sin. God forgives our unrighteous anger. Titus chapter 3 puts it like this. Paul says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Isn't that a good summary of society? Hated and... What? Being hated and hating. <laughs> you know, you look, at, you look at Twitter and you think, yeah, that's what's happening over here. <laughs> you know. Being hated and hating. <laughs> That's what people are doing online. Um, that's what's happening in our public discourse. That's what's happening in our schools, you know, in our communities, sometimes in our churches and our families. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. God looks at a world that is full of sinful anger. God looks at a world where people are being hated and hating. And God's response 
is to send his son. God responds with kindness and love and saves us, not because of anything righteous in us, but because of his mercy. The cure for anger is mercy because God's mercy forgives our sins and then remarkably God's mercy transforms our hearts because it is as your heart is transformed by mercy that you start making different moral evaluations. When you realize how kind and merciful God has been to you, when you realize that in God, mercy triumphed over judgment, you will not be able to judge others in the same way. Because you'll realize, I'm the biggest sinner I know. And sure, what this person did is wrong. Absolutely wrong. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be called out. But, but they're not worse than me. You know, I'm a sinner. And God has shown mercy to me which means that I can always extend mercy to others. We can, this is not um, code for not pursuing justice. We absolutely need to pursue justice. But God does both. God is both merciful and just. And his mercy transforms our hearts so that we make different kinds of assessments. When we think that something isn't fair... We remember the gospel and we think, well, <laughs> God didn't give me what was fair. If God gave me what was fair, I'd be in hell for eternity. God gave me mercy. And I want to learn, having received God's mercy, how to show mercy to others. So the cure for anger is the mercy of God. And as you reflect on your own anger and as you do a, an assessment of your relationships, I don't want you to be drowned in guilt. I want you to go to Jesus and rejoice in his mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment and mercy transforms our hearts. And mercy means that we can start treating others the way that God has treated us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are very aware of the way our hearts make the wrong kinds of assessments. We have sinful beliefs and desires, and we often get angry for the wrong reasons. We often express it in destructive ways, and Lord, we can see the bitter fruit of that in our relationships. So we come to you as people in need of mercy. We are amazed at your love for Cain. You move towards him. You counsel him. You give him mercy when he doesn't even ask for it. And Lord, you've done that for us. You found us in a situation of being hated and hating. 
And your response was in kindness and love to show us mercy. Won't you teach us afresh just how remarkable your mercy is? Help us to rejoice in your mercy. Help us to celebrate your mercy. Help us to remember that mercy triumphs over judgment. And as we do that, we pray that you would transform our hearts so that we would make different moral assessments. So that even as we move towards um, sin and injustice, we would do so as people who have received mercy and who are ready to extend it to others. Amen.